but I, t- I took the parking manager job because I saw the opportunity uh, and I stuck with it. The first year I thought I was insane. You know, we had the Northridge earthquake in Los Angeles and so the, my, my office was in the bottom of a garage underground and so all the office building was constantly moving and shaking above me. I was like, what? I just need to go back to New York. Uh, but I stuck with it and I, I very soon after started being promoted and moving around. Central's mantra back then, I'm sure you remember John, was if you want to get promoted, you got to move. And so, you know, the more you moved, the more you got promoted. And so I moved a lot and I got promoted a lot and I left as an executive. I spent probably half my, more than half my career with them uh, of the 14 years as an executive, at an executive level. And then I joined this firm that shan't be named, uh, that is in the book, but all the names have been changed to protect the innocent, which is me. <laughs> Uh, And then I I was with them as executive vice president for three years. Welcome to All Things Parking with Danny and John. And I'm John Conway. And I'm Danny Crane. If you want to know what is happening in the industry, meet the who's who, and learn about technology and innovations happening in parking and mobility, you're in the right place. There's tons of things happening in the parking and mobility space on this show. We will dive into controversies. We will dive into topics and introduce technologies, the leaders and the ideas that are shaping the future of the mobility space. We love the parking industry and can't wait to bring you incredible conversations about all things parking. To check out our episodes, head to www.parkingtalk.com. Your parking talk starts here on all things parking. And before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer. Everything you hear on the show is Danny and my opinion, our opinions only. So I would encourage you to listen to the show, develop your own ideas and thoughts, and of course, listen at your own risk. And again, thank you for joining us. All Things Parking with Danny and John. Let's dive in. This episode of the All Things Parking podcast with Danny and John is brought to you by PRRS, the leading provider parking data analytics. PRRS offers a fully customizable, automated 24-7 parking lot monitoring solution compatible with any facility and operation. Data collected by cameras placed on your property can be uploaded into an artificial intelligence-aided interface called parkingcompliance.ai. The interface assembles quantitative reports on parker behaviors, trends, and peak hours, which can be a tremendous help in creating data-driven financial plans or preparing for better ad hoc situations. You can access parkingcompliance.com on your smartphone and have live parking lot data at your fingertips anytime and anywhere. To find out more, visit parkingprrs.com. That's parkingprrs.com. PRRS, a new standard in compliance. Well, 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 welcome back (laughs) to the Danny and John show. Danny, how's it going? I'm great. How are you, John? I am good. Good good. afternoon. It's finally afternoon. We're recording an an afternoon session where we usually do morning sessions. So So, this is... Yeah, so that's pretty cool because uh, that means you're not late. (laughs) I'm not late. (laughs) If it was in the morning, you'd be late. You know, I was... uh, Last time I was eight minutes late. My, My timing is getting better. But without further ado, I am so happy and I'm so excited to welcome today's guest, Miss Kendra Petty. Hey, John. Hey, Danny. Very Ken- good to be here. Kendra Very Petty, um, author. 
of an amazing book. I can't believe I'm not dead. You wear a few different hats. I do. I do. So uh, for those of you who, uh, you know, a lot of people know Kendra Petty in our industry, but for those of you who don't, Kendra Petty is an executive with Laz Parking, and she is a newly um, author of a great book. I've, I've read the book. It's amazing. I can't believe I'm not dead. Incredible. I'm halfway through it. Um, you haven't even I, got to the good parts yet. I, I'm so excited. I actually was reading it this morning um, before... I was on my way here and unfortunately, thank, thank you first off for bringing us a signed copy yes, because I absolutely. meant to bring mine and I left it on my counter um, because I was reading it this morning. Um, but an amazing book. Um, we will drop the link in our, in our, on our website, on yeah, our we'll, website, we'll drop a link so uh, people can get their own copy, but you can go to Amazon, right? It's on yes, Amazon. Any, any book retailer. Okay. It's, a, it's available at any book retailer. And on my website, which, and we'll, which is the website, uh, Kendra Petty official .com. All right. So Kendra Petty um, official .com, everyone. So I would, idea. Uh, you know, I would love to know how Kendra has finds the time to be an author and you've had a good run successful in, uh, in what you're doing right now in the airport space. So, um, kudos to you, but where do you find the time? Holy it was a, a labor of love and hate. It took a lot of time. It took uh, three and a half years to write the book, but I hired a ghostwriter. I have to, I have to be honest. I didn't do all the, the heavy lifting. Uh, I lived all the heavy lifting, but uh, the ghostwriter, Jessica, Jessica Jones, I, I owe her a lot. We worked for three and a half years. She's a published author. Uh, she has ghostwritten a number of books that have been published. She used to work for Simon & Schuster and Random House. Uh, at those two big houses, she was a publisher and an editor, but she was also responsible for taking books from books to movies and books to TV shows. So her claim to fame, her biggest claim to fame, I guess, is uh, that she found Legally Blonde in the trash and made it help really? make it into a movie. Nice. So she was my ghostwriter. And uh, I, I do want to say um, working with a creative person is completely different than working with a, a, a business process. people. Yeah. It's a different process. So I... I not sure I ever want to have to manage another creative person again, but, uh, <laughs> but we, she's now a dear friend, a very, very dear friend. And she actually helped me find a publisher and helped me get it published. So it was three and a half years, lots of nights and weekends. Uh, it was, it was quite a time commitment. It's a, uh, I, I mean, it's amazing. I, I, when I first started, when I picked up the book, first of all, for those of you, I'm not a reader, so I don't, I'm not the guy reading on the plane. I'm the guy with the listening the to the music, like you are but now. here I was <laughs> on a plane reading, reading this book. So I finished the book in a couple days, but I remember reading and getting through like the first two chapters mm -hmm. and I, I had to text Kendra. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. You know? And, um, it just, uh, and so I couldn't, I couldn't drop this book. I had to keep, you know, so. Uh, I hear it's a real page turner. Yeah. It really, <laughs> it really is. I, um, I, I read it during the day, not necessarily before going to bed. Right. That's you probably know. a good yeah, idea. Yeah. <laughs> you well, I, I, I did, you know, the first time I picked it up, I, it was, you know, I read a lot before I go to sleep. And so I started reading it before I went to sleep and then I woke up the next morning. I was like, probably not a good idea right. during the day kind yeah. of read yeah, for me. For sure. Um, but I can't believe I'm not dead escaping abuse, occult attempted murder and other insanities. So, 
I think the, I mean, the book is pretty much outlines your life and mm-hmm. with a lot of trauma. And so, um, in both personal and, and professional. So I think one of the things when I was reading the book, you know, a lot of people have a lot of, you know, issues and we deal with certain things at work. We deal with certain things professionally. Um, I guess from, you know, my perspective is most of the time we try to manage those separately. Right. And so I guess one of my questions, you know, you had a, a, a traumatic personal life. And so I guess, you know, and, and there were moments where it was a traumatic work environment. And so, and we just finished an episode of leadership in our industry. And I talked about my crappy bosses, but I don't think they, <laughs> you know, compare to some of the things in, in the book, but what, you know, so were, did you ever have a moment where they were both both tracks were, were disruptive at the same time? Both my personal life and my work life. Uh, for sure I did, but only as a result of what was going on in my work life that, that it did affect my personal life. So, you know, through, through my childhood, I had an extremely, um, traumatic childhood and I developed coping mechanisms for all that trauma and all that tragedy, uh, that served me well in my adulthood. So if I ever had anything going on in my personal life, it did not show ever in my work life, but the, the, the biggest story in the book is, is something that happened to me at a company I worked for in the past, uh, that was extremely traumatic and affected my personal life, mostly my health, uh, my physical health for 12 years, some things even to this day. Um, so the attempted murder part is, is the, uh, is right. the work part that we're, we're discussing. And it, it was really hard to recover in my personal life and, Part of my healing was uh, from all that was writing the book. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing because I couldn't imagine. I, you know, I've had trauma in my life. You know, a divorce, and I think it actually propelled my career because I was. It was so traumatic going through that experience, and um, and so I, I, I work was my only outlet, and so it propelled me. And I couldn't. That's why I asked that question because I couldn't imagine having both of those scenarios at once. I mean, that is just an amazing. For for me though, work was always a priority. My career, building my career was always a priority, always a focus for me. Uh, So when it started to go sideways uh, in in the later chapters, you'll read uh, what happened, you know, myself and some people we've talked about before we started the show, worked for a, a really bad company, really bad people. And, uh, it took a toll, especially on me. Um, right. We were, we were, well, we were just talking about that in our, uh, last episode about leadership. And if you have bad leadership, it's debilitating. And especially if your leadership tries to kill you. I mean, (laughs) that's unbelievable. (laughs) Hey, uh, out there, my boss, don't try to kill me. (laughs) I mean, that's incredible. So, um, yeah, so it's, um, and in your case, it highlights that it can even, you know, start affecting your health. And so, so I guess that leads to the next, you know, the next question is, I mean, at what point do you say, I'm out of here and I'm out of this industry? Did you ever think about leaving yeah, the industry? You know, in, in conversations before, you know, before we started recording, you know, we were talking again about leadership and how leadership at my last, in, in my last industry caused me to leave. I mean, they, you know, different, uh, different reasonings, but at some point were you, 
ever, uh, what that wasn't, it didn't convince you to leave. So why didn't you, did you ever think about leaving the industry and why didn't you? Well, I, I left that firm, uh, but it took me some time. To, Thankfully. Yeah, yeah, before I died. Uh, I left that firm, but I, it took me, it did take me a little time to figure out my exit strategy because I was so sick. Uh, from what I had gone through with, with them, I was just physically very, very sick. And so I was just trying to keep it together, keep, figure out my health, trying not to die, um, and uh, trying to continue to work while I figured out my exit strategy. And, and my exit strategy became uh, where I'm at today with Last Parking 12 right. years ago. Um, and and that's, so it, it took a little time yeah, to so, work through. So Laz has a uh, a culture. They they have uh, they give hugs and <laughs> and uh, so it's uh, you went from one extreme people trying to kill you to a, another extreme. That's how was that yeah. transition? Well, you know, I'm a hugger by nature. I'm a lover yep. by nature. I'm also a fighter by nature. I have to be to survive. Oh, how I did exactly right, yeah, I but I'm but I am a lover by nature. So the hugs were, you know. They were fine. They were. It was a welcome difference you know, from. It's, it's my first company, Central Parking System, is where I started in the industry in Los Angeles in my twenties, right. and uh, we'd come together once a year as a as an organization, all the general managers above, and we all hugged. Everybody hugged. Right. So I, I think that this is you know I don't I don't want to take too many steps back, but I think that this is a great opportunity. I would you know for. You know, Kendra, I've had the pleasure of, of just, you know, recently getting to know you, but for people who don't know who you are in the industry and are listening to your story now, how, how did you get into parking? Would you mind just giving us a, a, a brief, uh, history on sure, how'd sure. you get here and you know, where, how'd you get to where you are now? Yeah. Uh, it's been a long, hard road. <laughs> it's been a long <laughs> climb of 29 years, a very long time. Uh, I was actually, I grew up in Oklahoma, was born on a farm, grew up in o Oklahoma. I left right after high school and moved to New York City. I went to college in New York. Uh, and Wonderful city, by the way. Yes, yes, <laughs> New York, New York. Uh, it's a fun city. And I started working in the fashion industry. I went to school, uh, to a school that was, it was a state university of New York, but focused on fashion design and, and the commercial side, the business side of it. Uh, and so I worked in the fashion industry for a few years and, and we talked about bad bosses. I, uh, it was just not a, the environment I wanted to work in at all. And so I left New York and moved to LA and had a couple of job offers for what I had been doing in New York. And I had this headhunter, um, kind of chasing me for this parking job. And I was like, what is this parking thing? You know, I lived in New York City eight years and never thought about when I would right. park in a garage that there was a company that would manage parking. Danny, where have you ever heard that? Parking? <laughs> what is parking? When you used to look for uh, jobs in the paper. And the classifieds. So the funny thing is, I've, we did our first episode of Introducing Us and... And uh, I responded to an ad, parking manager, and I had no clue right, what right. parking manager was. So I said the same yeah. thing you did. So I'm yeah. like, parking? Everyone was laughing at me going, what is parking? Right, <laughs> yeah. Especially all the folks back in Oklahoma. But but I, I took the parking manager job because I saw the opportunity uh, and I stuck with it. The first year I thought I was insane. You know, we had the Northridge earthquake in Los Angeles. And so the, my, my office was in the bottom of a garage underground. Mm -hmm. And so all the, the office building was constantly moving and shaking above me. I was like, well, I, I just need to go back to New York. Yeah. Uh, but I stuck with it and I, I 
very soon after started being promoted and moving around. Central's mantra back then, I'm sure you remember, John, was if you want to get promoted, you got to move. And so, you know, the more you moved, the more you got promoted. And so I moved a lot and I got promoted a lot. And I left as an executive. I spent probably half my more than half my career with them uh, of the 14 years as an executive at an executive level. And then I joined this firm that shan't be named, uh, that mm -hmm. is in the book, but all the names have been changed to protect the innocent, which right. is me. <laughs> uh, and then I, I was with them as executive vice president for three years. And, you know, I, I didn't leave, you know, back to your question about why didn't I leave the parking industry? We've discussed this before. You know, once you're in parking, it's so hard to get out. It I don't know why, so but it, it kind of sucks you in and, and, and you're, you're in it for years. So this is my 29th year. But uh, and I also did not want them to win. You know, I, ne I had questions I, I needed answered of why things were happening and why things were the way they were. Uh, and I wasn't going to let them win. So I wasn't just going to walk away or run away. I have to say, the Central Parking alum are a pretty close-knit group. Very, and, very. And they all love each other, yeah, and yeah. they talk it's my, it's great about friends. each other. Yeah, yeah. and it's my when best you guys, friends. When you see the Central Parking alum in a room, it's like, wow, they're all, yeah. that is, I mean, yeah. that's really we're cool. We're all competitors now, but we're all still very good friends. Right. I, I, oh, some of my closest friendships friends. from from that time. You so know, did, and so this did, is something that I... I I mentioned before in a few of our different episodes is the reason why I love this industry so much. It's not just because of, you know, that I, that I believe that there are bigger things to do and there's a lot of growth within our industry, but it's the people. Yeah. I have made some of the best of friends in this industry and, and they'll it's be lifelong friends. Yeah. Lifelong yeah. friends. It's unlike any other industry. And so the people really, really do it for me. They, they keep me here. They, and I'm, I'm so lucky to be in this industry. So, so unless you know, you're, you're, you're lucky. I, I am lucky. <laughs> I love that. Kendra lucky. just pointed yeah. to her tattoo on her yeah. on her palm of her hand, and it's part of the. It's on the front cover of yeah. the book. Lucky, yeah. So, uh, I, I just have to ask: Where did you ever pick up Monroe Carroll from his private jet? I did <laughs> more <laughs> than once. And you, yeah. and you pick him up, and he wants you to take him downtown, right. and you have to name Show all the everything. buildings. That's right. You got to know who runs it. And who's how the many property spaces? manager? Yeah. How many spaces? <laughs> right. with everything. Uh, so you've, what you've, are the rates? you've done yeah. that, and yeah. not just on your properties. Everybody yeah. else's properties. Oh, he wants, yeah. Yeah, oh he wants you to know need to know those properties. <laughs> Yeah, oh, absolutely. He wants, he wants, what, do, yeah. what does everyone else do? Are we price competitive? Right, right. What do, uh, market rate surveys? Yeah. Oh, I, I can tell you all the prices of downtown Denver. <laughs> I learned a lot was, from Monroe. Yeah. God rest his soul. Yeah. He's yeah. a good man. So, um, so, you know, in, in traversing through the book, um, um, you, you, you have a vacation spot too, right? I do. Yeah. I do. I love Kauai. That's my... That's where my when I land in Kauai, get in my rental car, and start heading to my hotel, I just feel like I'm at home. So that's like your. I'll safe actually be there space. next month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that's, it's incredible. It's just peaceful and beautiful. If you haven't been, you got you got to go. I've never been. I've never been, but now. Have you been to Hawaii at all? I have not been to oh, Hawaii. Oh, come on. You guys, I it's so, I know. I so read, easy I for you. We're doing a show from Hawaii. What do you yeah. think? Okay. Let's we can't go to Maui or the Big Island I know, right it's now. On right. Fire, it's on fire. Right? That's terrible. And I was telling her I'm. I'm going to Italy. Yeah. And so that's my, that's incredible. my vacation while she's in Hawaii. I'll be in Italy. That's so we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll be sending pictures we'll to pictures. you, John. Yeah. And so you had a boat. 
I did for yeah. 18 years. Yep. So I was a boater. I, how was that? I loved it. I, I love the water. Yeah. Um, when I'm in Kauai, I'm in the water the whole time. So did you have like a dock space or did you have to launch the boat? No, I, uh, listen, I have never towed that boat. I've never towed anything. You would not want me to tow <laughs> anything. <laughs> I, uh, I would have it towed and then I would have it uh, either dry docked where you just call and they put it in the water for you or depending on the marina, um, I would have a, a slip. But I started boating when I lived in Atlanta right. and then, uh, moved to Chicago and boated so, there. And so that Cleveland. was kind of a, a good outlet for you to very, get very, away. And yeah. I've, I grew up on a lake, so some of the most peaceful times. And then being in the Coast Guard, being out where you can't see anything and you're floating and it's just water's, very relaxing. The water's healing. It's, it's so peaceful. calming. Do you think um, the, re the reason why you're so drawn to water now or were, is because of the calmness that it brings into to your life maybe because there was a lot of yeah. chaos before or was were you were you drawn to it at at points before that uh, I not in my childhood I was although I grew up in Oklahoma so we didn't have really any water so I think that just not having it kind of fascinated me yeah. but I also just love what's under the water in the ocean I could spend all day see, seeing what's under there. And I have had a, uh, I've, I've had jellyfish sting my whole face. Oh I've my had goodness. fish bite me. I had a stingray take a chunk out of my foot uh, in uh, Maui on the same day that I had to go shave my head from chemo because uh, I was losing so much hair. That was, a, that was quite a day, but I still love the ocean. Like it, and I'm yeah, not too scared. You know, I, I, um, I grew up in New Mexico, so no water, no water, no water. No water but I think that that's a big reason why I love it. But yeah. now, and I find myself drawn to the coast, yeah. whether I'm on the West or the East. Um, but it, it terrifies me a little bit uh, because whoa. not knowing got, that, that's why you got to go to the clear water so you can see what's oh, yeah. going on. under. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. get in the water. You can't see through. <laughs> so I, I wanted to start a, a reality show called the boat ramp. <laughs> The boat ramp? Yeah, because, I, you know, we'd go out when my daughter was in high school. We had a boat. We'd take her out. You know, we'd go out with the friends, everything. And, uh, you know, you launch in and out of the reservoir every weekend. And some of the things you see on that boat ramp, I mean, yeah. we could have a reality show. Fights, all kinds of things. Um, and so I think somebody has started a reality show called The Boat Ramp. Did so, they? Yeah. they took your idea. They stole they your idea. Uh, Freaking stole it. So. You better go after him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming after you, boat ramp. <laughs> so, um, so back to the, so back to the book. Um, you know, so if there's a professional out there right now in our industry who's working and going through um, trauma in their life, whether it be private or or professional or both. What, what would be your advice? Because obviously you've overcome yeah. and you're very successful in our industry. So what would be your advice to that person? Uh, you know, for me, I mean, you have to find your path, right? About five years ago, I hit a wall uh, with all this just lifelong trauma and tragedy and PTSD. And and I just I said enough. And I really started uh, I. I I said, I have to get to the bottom of why this continues to be my cycle in life. I want to live the rest of my life in peace. And so I started reading and, and learning and seeking to understand how I could, number one, heal my physical body, heal my mind, heal my heart, my soul from all that I had been through in hopes that it would help me change the trajectory of my life and that I could stop that pattern, that cycle of trauma and tragedy. And through that, I... I just learned so much at, of things that work for me. Um, 
some of them are listed in the book. The last chapter really focuses on my healing journey. Part of it was writing the book, uh, extremely cathartic, m more cathartic than I thought it would be. Even this is cathartic. The things that I've done, I've done podcasts, I've done a TV show, I've done some public speaking on the book. Um, every time I talk about it, it helps heal me. Uh, and, you know, my, I'd spent my whole life just sort of shoving it down and compartmentalizing it and putting it in a box and putting it aside and saying, I'll deal with you later. Uh, so five years ago, I said, okay, it's now it's time to deal with all of this. But I think the, the probably four things that I focus on the most is um, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in a bad situation. Don't get stuck in blame, pointing the finger and saying, this is your fault. Don't get stuck in anger. You've got to move on. You've got to get out of that toxic situation, whether it's work or marriage or um, you know, friends, you've got to surround yourself with joy and positive and good things. Uh, second, uh, for me, I started practicing gratitude and, you know, I'd always been very grateful for my career and, you know, the, the things that I had, I guess, acquired through my career and, uh, the success that I had seen, but really daily practicing gratitude for everything in my life. Third is, and this is very hard for me, is practicing forgiveness. Uh, forgiving all those that have harmed me and, you know, in the book, wow. you can read and, and that's not even everything, you know, but there are so many uh, that have come through my life that have created harm, but also forgiving myself. So forgiving them and forgiving myself. And, and that's a challenge. I think that's something I will probably work on the rest of my life, but I really do focus on it. Um, so do you, so do you forgive the person that <laughs> tried to kill you? I, 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 tr I am trying, I'm trying. That's yeah. I th you know, I think that's, there's a, a couple of people that I still have, to, including myself, that I still have to work on forgiving. Much of my childhood, I've, you know, I've moved past, except for my brother's situation, uh, but, uh, and my, my marriage, I'm, I never was angry or held grudges about that uh, situation. But yeah, the work situation is probably the pinnacle. My brother's situation and, and work is probably the pinnacle and, and what I have to work on most for forgiveness. But then the, the last thing that I have to practice is really letting my guard down and letting people back in. Because for years I lived in solitude after what happened to me at work. I just shut down. I didn't let people in my home. I cut off friendships. I only stayed in touch with family and a few close friends. Uh, I was, I feared for my life like yeah. for a decade. I feared for my life. And that's when I, I hit the wall and I said, you know, enough, I've really got to change this. I don't want to keep living like this. Um, so really letting my guard down and letting people in and letting, letting love in. Right. So I love that. I think that that's incredible. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So I think it's uh, demonstrates an amazing amount of courage to write this book and then, you know, so you, you, you had to be fearful of exposing Absolutely. your personal trauma, um, in your life. And so it's one thing, you know, to tell people in a personal setting, but now you've got a, a, a great book out there. And so from a professional environment, you had to be, that had to be pretty fearful. How did you overcome sure. that? And, and, and thank you, by the way. I mean, that's courageous. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It, 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 uh, when I originally started writing and when I hired Jessica, I said, I don't want to publish this. I just need it all documented. It's so insane. 
I need it documented for me in a methodical manner. I need it documented for my family because my family, I would try to explain to them what happened to me at work and they would just look at me like, you know, they're from Oklahoma, they're, you know, the farm, they haven't they're really like, been yeah. exposed to a lot and they would look at me like I was crazy. Um, and so I just wanted it documented. And as we moved through it, Jessica really pushed me to publish. She said, you have to publish this. This story is incredible and it can help so many people. And the more I thought about it, as we moved through the years, I thought, you know, I have escaped death so many times, so many more than that are in that book. And there's a lot in that book where I've escaped death. There has to be a reason why I'm still alive. Like, why am I still alive? It's certainly not just to be doing what I'm doing. And, and I'm grateful for what I'm doing, but it, there's got to be more that I'm supposed to be doing if I have lived these, you know, 900 lives. Uh, so I decided the book must be the beginning of, of what I need to do. And so I... I um, Jessica helped me find the publisher and the, the day, so it took about four years from start to finish to get it published, right, written and edited and published. And the day I was supposed to sign with my publisher, uh, and I never have a panic attack. Like I am a very calm, cool, collected person. Um, I had a panic attack and I did not sign. And I called um, two of the people that are in the book that I used to work with, all the names have been changed, so you won't recognize right. them, but I, they're still very good friends, and they were with me through all of that insanity with that company. So I called them, and I, you know, they, I, I said, should you talk me off the ledge, or should I just not release this? Because they knew I was working on the book, and they were so proud of you. You need to publish this. This is such a great story. And they encouraged me, and I spent the weekend thinking about it, and I, I just decided I've got to do it. But I took a lot of steps, I think, to protect myself. Um, and the first step is by changing company names, cities, people's names, so that hopefully no one can drill down and figure out who it is. And hopefully that's a nice insurance policy that, you know, right. the folks that are still alive with that company um, will take comfort in that I'm never going to share who they are or any of that information. But it it was very trepidatious and very scary for a very long time. But I also have an amazing security system and lots of people looking yeah, out right. for me. Yeah, you know, and sometimes that's what it takes to start the self-healing journey, right, is kind of reliving because that's exactly what we did when writing this book. You relived every uh, again moment. Again and again. Of yes. every trauma, yes. you know, and I, I can't I can't imagine what that feels like. You know, I'm I'm incredibly close. I have twin brothers who work in the industry younger than I am and so close to them. And so having to really relive some of that trauma, especially when it comes to right. family right. over and over again is, is takes a lot of courage to even be able to face that yeah. one part of the many, many, right. many traumas that you, you go yeah. through. There were two stories in there that are early on in the book that I couldn't talk about and that yeah. I didn't talk about. And that I, I mean, most people don't know most of that in the book uh, about me just because I don't talk about it and haven't talked about it. So Jessica, she, she knew of these two stories. And so she sort of saved placeholders in the, in the book for them. And as we're nearing the end, she's like, you know, we really need to get to these stories they are so critical and so important to the book. And so I just sat down and I started writing and it took me maybe two months, a month and a half, two months. And I just wrote the stories myself, the experiences myself and edited them and re-edited them and then gave them to her. And I said, here they are. So I don't have to talk to you about them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, if you need to tweak them or edit them, make them flow a little better, fine. She didn't touch them at all. Uh, and they're in the book. So some of the things I didn't talk about, but I did have stress about ha knowing that I was going to need to talk to her about them. They were things that happened in my childhood. And, um, but yeah. she was, she, she was also like a therapist. She's an incredible woman. She's an, actually, she called me yesterday. I missed her call, but she's, 
She's an incredible woman who now runs a multimedia company. She, she owns a multimedia company. I, she doesn't ghostwrite anymore. I think I ruined her. <laughs> I think I broke her. She told me when we were done, this was the hardest book I've ever had to write or help write. It was the most, um, most emotional, but I've grown the most. Yeah. And that's the last book she ghostwrote. Yeah, I think... You know, because I'm, I'm not going to reveal a lot of the detail of the book because I think people should buy the book and they should go out and read this book. Um, but, you know, it's something you said earlier about not blaming yourself in that early, those first two chapters um, where you're dealing with your family and, and the loss. Um, I mean, that was not your fault. I mean, I remember sitting there on a Saturday reading that, and I, I think I even texted you. You did. I was you like, did. I, that's how emotional I was. And I was like, in that situation, for you to be blaming yourself, wow, that's no way. It wasn't your fault. No, so I appreciate that. So if I could that. give you a last uh, hug a right hug. now. Yeah. <laughs> or a hug. It's not your fault. No, so. no, no thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I hear that again and again. And my father has read, I don't know if he's read the whole book, but he's read part of it, and he he uh, texts me the same thing. We're not a big talking family, <laughs> but uh, he texts me the same thing. And uh, I haven't talked to him since the book or haven't seen him or spoken to him on the phone since he's read it. But I, I appreciate that. It, you know, it's hard with guilt. Guilt is such a complex thing. Yeah. And when you live a whole life taking that on, it's really hard to sort of break that down. And that will be a, a, also a lifelong process. As I mentioned, forgiveness for myself. Right. When you started the process, you know, Healing, you started the healing journey and, you know, that's a very courageous thing to do because a lot of people never take that first step and, and that's, it's very unfortunate. And so, I mean, I, the way I see it is that day that you signed, like you're vulnerable because you don't know how people are going to respond to the book and it's very personal. Right. And so, um, you know, how is my, you know, my new leadership going to react? How are these people going to react? That's why it's uh, it's a, just a, 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 a demonstration of amazing courage because most people, I, I would sit here and say probably 85 or 90 percent of the people couldn't do that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. It it did make me trepidatious because I'm still in the industry. I still work in the industry, but I, you know, I did speak to my ownership about it. Uh, right. I didn't speak about the specifics in the book, but, you know, they knew some of the generalities and that it's a memoir um, and they were very supportive. Uh, but I haven't spent a lot of time marketing it in the industry right? because I, I just kind of, I'm still getting my head around. This is actually is my first, my first uh, entree into talking yeah. about it in the industry. Well, we are very honored. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Very thank you very to much. You. No, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I, I guess, you know, one of, one of the questions I had was, you know, um, how do you see, going through everything that you've gone through the, you know, in, 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 in a time all throughout with the trauma that you've gone through to see you rise to a level that you're at and be successful like you are. Um, how do you see women's roles in our industry? I, Cause I know Danny has, has brought it up and I think we're going to do a show after this on women in parking, but how do you see women's roles, uh, progressing and how are you, how can you, you know, utilize your experience and the sure. trauma in this book to help ele elevate and, and, uh, inspire women to be leaders. Right. Well, and I, and I, I would like to just add a little bit to that. Like, where did you, where, 
you know, you've, you've been in the industry for a little, for a while. So from where it was then to where it is now mm-hmm. and the progression. Right. Uh, specifically as it relates, relates to women, um, because it's very different today than it was 29 years ago, technology wise. And, you know, we're not taking money in a cigar box. Right. <laughs> one for you, one for me. It's so, right. so many you know, employees silent and companies. And, right, lots of silent partners. <laughs> so in that respect, it's changed a lot. In terms of uh, women in leadership, it's moved very, very slowly, very slowly. When I started with Central, uh, there was one female RVP. This was in the mid-90s. And uh, I was the second female RVP at that company. And I think we were the only two. But it was progression. I mean, it was the mid-90s, and they had female RVPs. Um, if I look at the industry today, across the board, women in leadership, especially decision-making roles, roles that are molding the company, that are molding you know, the growth and the trajectory of the company, it's just not there. It's not there at all. I mean, and I'm, I'm speaking across the board right. as the industry in a whole. You know, women have in this industry and, and probably other male-dominated industries have have uh, systematically been pushed into business development roles, marketing roles, uh, human resources roles, and not been allowed to be to have a seat at the table. Right. And and that's sad. You know, that is these companies are not are, are doing a real disservice to themselves because there are brilliant leaders that are women out there that can really affect change in companies. And and these companies could be so much more and so much better than they are if they allow these women. And I say allow because this is why we're not at the table, because right, it hasn't been allowed. Yeah. Right. Uh, if they allow women to have a seat at the table in a decision-making role that helps make decisions for the company, move that company forward, uh, and mold that company. I mean, that's, I, I totally agree. And I think it's one of the things in the future I'd like to help inspire um women entrepreneurs in our industry. I know we have several. We do. I, Julie Dixon yeah. um, is one. Angela has, Clark. Angela Clark. Um, Deborah Fogel. Deborah Fogel. Um, and pretty successful. And so how do we help facilitate that as a, as a, you know, as a business leader in the industry to help inspire women entrepreneurship within our industry? And then what you just said, more women role, leadership roles. Right. Steering committee type there, roles. There right? are more, you know, and I was thinking about that after you and I had conversations and we uh, talked about uh, this this session and this show. There are women-owned parking companies. There's, there's smaller companies, obviously, and we, and we work with, you know, Sheila Hudson, Angela Clark, Deborah Fogel, uh, all, the, all the women that we work with out there that are leaders and, and cutting edge because they own these parking companies and they grow these parking companies. So kudos to them. And I'd love to see so much more of that. But on the flip side, the corporations, the larger LLCs, all of our competitors, you know, they really have to look themselves in the mirror and, and make a decision to make a change. Right. Yeah. Oh, I agree. You know, it's, um, when I, when I mentioned one of the things that I, that I'm not too fond of about the industry is that it's so male, male dominated, right? right. Um, it is, it is oftentimes where I walk into a room and I'm the only woman at the table, which 
doesn't intimidate me by any means. I grew up, I mean, I have four brothers. I've always Danny been, Crane. I've always been <laughs> the only woman in the room on many, many occasions growing up. And, um, but it, it would be incredible to see other strong women leaders. It really would. At that table. So I think there's. Help me make the decisions. You know, again, I I agree with you. It's been, it's been slow. There's organizations, um, you know, um, I think it's Colonial Parking is named Mm -hmm. Colleen Neese um, as CEO, Chief Executive Officer. So that, of course, is a, quite a leadership role. It's a big, yeah. Yeah. It's a big shift. So, um, and, you know, I, I think some of the, the, the larger corporations uh, need to. Uh, probably expedite their mm-hmm. their drive. I know mm-hmm. they all participate. Everybody participates, yeah. um, and there's been some change. But I think we've talked about this, Danny. The needle needs to move faster in faster. this industry. It does. It needs, so, to pro- it needs to progress and not and not head the other way. So. So do you think organizations like, oh, is it, it's WIP, right? Yes. Women yeah. in Parking. Yeah. Uh, Ruth Beeman, the founder, I was one of the um, founding members of WIP. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love Ruth and all that she's done for women in parking and, and the whole organization as it's grown. Um, I was not as active in WIP for a long time after what I went through I think I shared with you, I shut down and I was just really focused on my health and trying to keep my career going. Um, But I have sort of reinvigorated uh, my involvement in women's organizations. And LAS has actually, the women at LAS has formed something called Amplify in the last year. And so I'm on the National Steering Committee for Amplify. And it's to amplify women's voices uh, in LAS parking and help create opportunities for women. That's pretty Um, cool. And so we've created branches uh, throughout the... um, the U.S. and so we have, I think, six different super region branches, and I'm part of the Southwest, so part of the National Steering Committee, part of the Southwest, and really, it's it's to help mentor mentor our up and coming female leaders and provide them opportunities that they might not have otherwise. I think that's pretty cool. That, that I didn't is, know that. That is great. I feel, I wonder, I, I mean, I feel like this is the first that I've heard of it in, in you know, in the operations world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. kudos to you. Kudos to Laz. That's, that's incredible. Well, kudos to so the I ladies think, that, that yeah. founded it. They, they, they invited me to be a part of it, but I didn't found it. So, so how are incredible. they, how are they marketing that? I mean, if we can help out, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's an internal it's right internal. now it's internal to, okay. to Laz women, but you know, that is a good idea to think about how can we support the industry, you know, maybe right. branching out. We're less than a year old, uh, but we are doing, you know, we've got, uh, educational platforms, uh, some, um, not, we don't call them training, but some advice platforms. Uh, we do coffee chats, we do book clubs, you know, you know, all in the, the vein of being of professional environment of help, helping educate and, um, sort of push these women forward in, in ways that they wouldn't have an opportunity to before. I would say when, you know, when the organization gets to a point when they're comfortable that they market something like that, because I think what it does is it incentivizes other organizations because let's face it, Laz is a leader in our industry. Um, and a lot of people look over and say, Hmm, Laz is doing that. Right. So it would probably incentivize a bunch of other companies to, to do the, a similar program. No, I would agree. And I, and now I'm going to give it some thought about how yeah. do we externally 
focus uh, our, our, our platform and our processes. So what do we need? What, what, what would we need to do as an industry? Like um, I'm a male in the industry. What do we need to do to help whip be stronger? Not that it's not strong now, but how do we make it stronger? So it's more prevalent. And I think we need more of whip, more organizations. Whip is great. And you know, the fact that they've partnered with the MPA makes them even stronger. So definitely supporting whip, uh, but also, founding other organizations. But at the end of the day, it's it's the leaders of these companies that need to make a decision to put women in decision-making roles um, and let them have a seat at the table. Right. Yep. Hire more women, John. I, I'm all for it. Well, and and I, I agree. It, you know, hiring more women and, and, you know, I think Laz does a great job. You know, there's a, there's a focus on, you know, making sure we, ha- we have a diverse workforce. But... Um, it's what are the roles that these women are, are in and yeah, yeah. Honestly, that when I, when I board a plane, which is a lot and I look over and you know, you look in the cockpit and you wave and sometimes they're looking back. If there's a woman pilot, I actually feel better knowing that there's, that there's a woman you feel flying a more the plane. Safe. I do. I feel a lot That's more awesome. safe to be honest with you. You're in good hands. That's a true story. It's like, wow. Yes. Attention to detail. Attention to detail. Not risky. You know, I'm loving this. Well, I don't know about the not risky part. Yeah. I, I, I rock climb and I do some freedom. Yeah. You are very adventurous. You're, wow. Do you still do, do you, do you still do a lot of rock climbing? I do. Of, I do. So I'm afraid of heights. So wow. Are you really? Oh yeah. I could never rock climb. I would oh. love to see you rock climb. Wow. Conway. Yeah. yeah that let's would go. Be, I'd have to go. be harnessed up. <laughs> no, I don't use equipment. No, no, no equipment. Free, free, it's called free climb. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my But gosh. you know, I'm not hanging from like a thousand foot vertical. I'm, it's still very dangerous, but um, it's not crazy. Like. So in the in the book you talk, you know, you've broken many bones. Mm, lots how ma- of bones. How many of them have been from free climbing? None. Wow. None, None but this is very sad. I, I hope we're not almost done because I don't want to end this, no, 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 this no, session no. on this. But, no, no, uh, no. So I, lo- I love to cry- climb in various places, but there's a place. I love Sedona. Sedona's beautiful. It's very healing for me. And so I spend as much time as I can there. And there's a particular place that I like to climb there. It's called Bell Rock. And I read about two weeks ago uh, that a man from Sedona, about 38, was climbing the backside of Bell Rock and slipped. And he was free climbing and he died. Wow. And I was um, in Sedona last weekend and I had I was with some friends and I asked them about it and they knew this person. And he's a very good climber, very good hiker. Uh, and they said, you know, he was climbing the backside and nobody ever climbs the backside. And I said, well, I climbed the backside. I guess I won't climb it anymore, but I, I climb the backside. So it, it can be very, very dangerous. You just, you just have to be, you know, very calculated. Yeah. Uh, and, re- and very careful. That's very focused, careful. calculated, yes. careful. I don't wear headphones. I don't listen yeah. to music. I don't take Can't people. I go alone. Right. No distractions. Wow. Do you tell people before? So you I go, do. you I tell people before you I go? I okay. Yeah. And they're like, text us when you're back. Right. Yeah. We're sending a search party out right, if you don't right. come back. But That's I've been very fortunate. I mean, I I love it. It's it's very free. It's very yeah. peaceful when you're out there by yourself. Well, it's almost like I, I can only imagine what 
like how mind freeing that is because you, you don't, you're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about your personal life. You totally can only focus think on being safe. Yeah. Right. You and are in, to the top. Talk about in the moment. Yeah. You are very in the moment. Yes. You have one, you're focused and you have one goal yes. to make it to the top. It's incredible. I yeah. mean, and it's beautiful. You're outside, fresh air, yeah. sunshine. It's, it's very freeing. So you make it to the top. Don't you have to get, go back coming down? Coming down harder. Coming yeah, down was, harder. I would it's imagine. more dangerous coming down for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. I was gonna say what not skydive off, but free fall off with the. Uh, oh right, I forget what the. I mean, uh, I'm sure there's some places that you climb and you go up, and then there's probably a way down that you're not ways. climbing. Right, but I'm sure there's some spots where you have to climb back down where you came back up. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I usually don't take the same path down. Right. I usually, usually take it, and there are times I get stuck. You know, partic particularly coming down where I've I've gotten stuck for 45 minutes. You know, because you kind of jump down. And then you're on a little plateau that you think might lead somewhere else, and it doesn't. You know, there's a little panic there. You but gotta, uh, gotta go back up. Find you got to go back up. But if you yeah, jump down, and it's too. too yeah. So, so yeah. It's, I've never gotten stuck where I've had to be rescued. Knock some wood. So what other things then, aside from rock climbing, is there any other things? Uh, I love to off-road vehicle. Uh, uh -huh. or I have an off-road vehicle and I love to off-road. So like a Razor? Yeah, a four-seater. Wow. <laughs> I nice. took my friends out uh, the other day. And I was like, are you guys sure you want me to open this all the way up? And they're like, yeah, do it, do it. <laughs> so my wife and I, who you guys just met, we were in Cabo once and rented a Razor. And what an experience. We were along the beach and then you go up into some yeah. hills and those things are they're fast. They're very fast. That and can it, be dangerous. There are some states that you're states. allowed to drive them on the street if you register them. So um, I, I own one and I take it up uh, up in Sedona uh, when I get to make it there up a, a path called Schnebly Hill Road. And at times, and it's very rocky, very bumpy. And at times it's only, you know, a one lane like road, like gravel, dirt, boulders, rocks. Uh, and then... Once you get to a certain, the, the tour, the tours will only go so far and then they turn around and go back, but all the Jeeps and the off-road vehicles will keep going. And there are times when you're on that road where it is a, I mean, it's probably a 3000 foot drop. So if you, if you go off the side of that road, that's it, that's it. But it's beautiful. I mean, it's stunning. So only in Mexico. We rented the razors and then they take you on like a tour and you stop like two or three times and they have these outdoor bars. Oh, nice. <laughs> and they give you shots and <laughs> beers. Not drinking a lot on my yeah, razor. It's yeah, way too dangerous. So they, Talk they about you, a dangerous, dangerous mix of. <laughs> they give you right? shots and beers and then send you on your and way they, on the razor. And drive? Like, yeah, literally. Let you drive? Yeah. Oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> have some so, shots of tequila and be on your way. I mean, I want to see that insurance policy. Yeah, that's funny. Safe. You know, that reminds me, I bought a car uh, a couple years ago and I did the delivery experience. I didn't want to originally, but they kept pushing me. So I went to LA for the delivery experience of this car and they have a restaurant there uh, and they feed you before they put you on the racetrack and teach you to race in a like car of what you bought. And they bring me the, me and my friend the menu and they're like, would you like wine or a cocktail? They have a full bar. And I'm like, I'm, a, I'm about to drive a car that is At your car, speeds. very expensive. <laughs> you really want me to drive a cocktail or drink a cocktail before I drive? That's if you if you've been to Florida or I, they might be all over, but the Ford garage. 
So they, it's a concept where they have this bar restaurant attached mm-hmm. to the dealership. So when you go and you bring your car into service, you're, you're in the drink. Ford garage and you eat and drink. <laughs> they send so, you away yeah, on so your people, way with your car. The same they send you are, on, your, on your way yeah, with your people, own car, people are sitting, hoping yeah. that you make it not right. very far because you got to bring it right. back for another right. Right. Yeah. People <laughs> another are sitting service. there drinking and eating, where waiting for their car. Denver? Uh, so Florida. this was uh, in between Jacksonville and Daytona. Okay. Is where I experience. It's called Ford Garage. And um, it's attached to a Ford dealership. What a concept. Yeah. Can you imagine if we had bars attached to our parking garages with that? (laughs) Well, here's the other thing, though. In sales, you you give somebody a cocktail, they're a little more relaxed. They're more inclined to spend money. So there's probably people buying vehicles. They're like, you don't need new windshield wipers, but we can charge you $1,200 for these brand new ones. And you're like... Why would like, I not want the best you know, of the leather best. seats? Yeah. That's why in the U.S. when you're doing a timeshare thing, like if you're up in the mountains, they can't serve you alcohol. But if you're in Mexico, they sit there and get you drunk. Oh, that has to be a lie because well, I was I'll be in recently, Mexico in a week, so I look I, forward to that. I, oh. was, I was in Hilton Head last year and we did this tour of a timeshare. And I think it was Hilton. And they're like, can we get you anything to drink? Right. Would you like a bottle of bubbly? Yeah. Quicker. Exactly. What is it going to take for you to sign here? Right. Right. Some bubbles. (laughs) So Kendra, what is, you know, if, as we near the end of the show here and for people that are, haven't read your book and are thinking about going out and buying your book, what is, what is the message you want to send to those people as they're deciding whether they buy your sure, book or not? Sure. Uh, well, first, it's a hard read, and and I've had a lot of people tell me that. I, you know, I've had so much outreach, and it's been very positive outreach. But uh, I have had people uh, reach out to me to say I couldn't put the book down. I read it in a day. I read it in two days, three days. Uh, but I've also had a lot of people reach out to me. I cried. I cried the whole way through the book. Um, so first, I would like to say it's a very hard read. Uh, it can be emotional and tough to get through, but the end is worth it. The last chapter is really full of, you know, my my healing path. Uh, and, you know, th- throughout the book, there's some very funny stories, the Snoop Dogg story and uh, <laughs> some, some other great, great stories. So, you know, it's not all bad, but it it, it is a tough read. But if you hang in there, uh, it it has a happy ending. Right. So... Have you gotten feedback from the professional side, even though you haven't really done a lot of marketing out? I, you know, I haven't, except I was at a conference. And I think you were there. I can't remember which conference it was. And it was not that long ago. And maybe you told me this or somebody told me, or it could have been Stan, your, your book is the talk of the conference. And I, I was like, I didn't even think people knew about my book. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so... Then I got a little nervous, right? Because I had not been talking about it at work. and But the feedback's all been phenomenal. I haven't, um, I did have a former client um, make a, a small comment about some of the things I included about my personal life in, in the book. And, you know, and she said, why did you do that? I said, well, it's, it's a memoir. It's not a business book. It's not a self-help book. I mean, there's some things in there that will definitely help some people. Uh, especially the last chapter, right. but it's a memoir and it's my life. And those things are a part of my life and they're an important part of it. They're what helped mold, mold me. Uh, but other than that, I haven't really gotten any negative feedback at all. Uh, but my publisher for the first uh, 90 days or so managed all my social media. And I did 
I, I got a lot of really good feedback in, in my social media, but I also got a some uncomfortable outreaches from people I didn't know, which was a little strange and uncomfortable. Because right. I before I never really used social media. I, I, I shut all my social media down after I went through what I did with that company. Right. Uh, and but my publisher said you need social media, so you know I had a Facebook that I never really used, so I turned that over to them, and um, had an Instagram that I just watched videos on, so I turned that over to them, and so you know we've had some good um, some good growth from that and good feedback. But as far as industry feedback, I, not a lot yet. But I, I really have not. This is really my entree into right. Took a lot for me to get there, and. But, you know, you're a good friend. And so with yeah. with both of you and your support, that, that has made a big difference for me. I'm super glad that uh, we're your first vehicle into the industry to, to share my this. Cherry. It's yeah. a- <laughs> well, you know, when I met you at I, you know, John had, was telling me about what an incredible human you were. And I could not wait to meet you at IPMI. And so I'm. I'm thankful for you and I'm grateful for no. you and thank you so much for thank sharing you. your story and thank and, you for the opportunity being here with us today. And, you know, you have an army of an incredible industry behind you now. And so, so and we're going to continue to follow your success because you're and on you're a roll. You're not going to try to murder me. So no, we're, <laughs> we definitely won't. And if somebody does that, call me, we'll, we'll find them. Trust me. We'll, we'll find them for you. How about that? Uh, we got people. There you go. There you go. Uh, Anyways, I think that's uh, that's it for today's episode. And, you know, thank you again, Kendra, for being here. And uh, all the listeners uh, in our industry, this is a must read. So um, go out. It will inspire you. It'll keep you. Uh, um, it'll it'll help you find your a way to be tenacious and uh, never giving up, which is. Uh, is, which is what Kendra demonstrates, obviously, with her success through all this. So thank you very much. Thank you, John. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thanks for listening to All Things Parking with Danny and John. We are so happy you joined us on the podcast and hope you'll stick around for future episodes. We love the parking industry. And more importantly, we love talking about all the crazy stuff happening in the parking and mobility space. We hope you join us on the next episode of All Things Parking with Danny and John. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and your favorite podcast app. We will see you next time on All Things Parking with Danny and John. To make sure you don't miss an episode, head to www.parkingtalk.com.